Please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13. The title of the sermon is Stand Still and See, words taken from the text itself. Exodus 14, verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again, no more forever. We recognize that there is a disconnect in this world between faith and sight. So you take the unbeliever, the unbeliever has the ability to see with their physical eyes, and yet they cannot see spiritually. They have blind souls, unable to see spiritually. By way of contrast, the believer uh, is able to see spiritually by faith, a soul that sees uh, by faith. And even there, you sense sometimes a a matter of dissonance between what they see with their physical eyes and what they behold by faith, which is why the Lord tells his people to walk by faith, not by sight. But as we turn our gaze from this world to the world to come, for the believer in heaven, faith gives way to sight and gives way ultimately to resurrected eyes. And there in heaven, the believer will see with resurrected eyes all that they had a distant glimpse of with the eyes of their soul, with faith. Indeed, in heaven, they'll have both resurrected eyes to behold the glory of God and all that he reveals, and they will have perfected sinless souls with spiritual perception to see with their souls as well. The two will be one in that incidence. No more disconnect, as, as it were. Well, this evening we, we come to this text and it serves something as a, a supplement, if you will, to what we're hearing in the opening of Hebrews 11 on Sabbath morning. And it would be far too big to try to squeeze this sort of thing into that exposition of, of Hebrews, but it does further illuminate and I think expand on all that we're hearing from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. So we're looking at, at Exodus 14, verse 13. You'll remember well the context. Israel has left Egypt, and they are en route to the wilderness. And now in this passage, they have come to the Red Sea. But let me remind you, lest you forgot, it is God himself who has led them there. God has brought them uh, through the pillar of cloud to the brink uh, of the Red Sea, which for them appears to be more of a dead end than it does an escape hatch. The Lord appears to have brought them to a dead end. So we're going to look then at verse 13, and we'll note three things. First of all, the sight of the eyes. The sight of the eyes. Look at the text. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still. So the question is, 
Why? What, what, is, what is the cause of their fear? And verse 10 supplies us with the answer. We're told, The children of Israel lifted up their eyes and beheld the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And so what was the cause of their fear? It was what they could see with their physical eyes. What they saw with their physical eyes is actually what induced fear within them. And all that they could see, of course, was what appeared to be impending threats of doom, really, of what would seem extinction. And so they, they could look behind them, right? They're heading toward the Red Sea. They could look behind them with their physical eyes. And there they saw the greatest military power on the face of the earth at that time with a heavily armed arsenal and trained soldiers. But then with their physical eyes, they could look ahead. And there they saw the impassable Red Sea before them. In other words, they saw themselves squeezed. And so they look behind Egypt, ahead the Red Sea. Then they look at themselves hemmed in, squeezed in, between, in into this tight spot. And what do they see there? Women, babies, grandmas, no professionally trained soldiers, and all their stuff. So this is what they see with their physical eyes. And so the passage says they are exceeding afraid, sore afraid. They're terrified, exceedingly afraid. Because as far as they're concerned, lights out, story over, we're finished. This is done. And there, there is no escape, right? There, there, is, there is no creative genius that's going to somehow derive a way for them to get out. No, there are no human possibilities at all for them. This is the sight of the eyes. And that physical sight led them to murmuring. In fact, murmuring is, in our current usage, almost too soft of a word. You know, we might say, well, someone's you know, murmuring about their back hurting or something like that. No, it's it's, it's really terror. I mean, you, you look at the, the language of verses 11 and 12. They start second-guessing. They start questioning God. They start stumbling over what God's Word has told them. And if that's not enough, there's, there's this flood that comes into their mind. And they, they begin recounting all of their former fears. Right? All of their, their former objections that they, they've had in the past and all of the unbelief that had manifested itself earlier. And so that, that's flooding in on top of everything else. And so they're led to this terror, to this exceeding fear. You know, we look at, at present circumstances ourselves. We never start from scratch. When we look at circumstances that present themselves fresh for the first time to us, we never come to those. We never view those from scratch, as it were. We, too, 
like Israel, are tempted to begin to rehearse our old thoughts, the things that we had previously anticipated or thought we anticipated or other things that had undermined and, and, and troubled us. You remember back at the beginning of all of this when God sent Moses while they were still slaves in Egypt, the Lord brings his word to them. And actually, if you're reading in Exodus chapter 5, the word of God, it would seem, increased their difficulties initially. God brings his word, says, I'm going to set you free. And the word is brought to Pharaoh to do so. And Pharaoh responds by making their life more miserable than it had ever been before. And so you see them, you know, in verse 19, the officers of the children of Israel did see they were in evil case. They met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way. And they said, the Lord look upon you and judge because you have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. They would appear to them initially as if the Lord's word was actually increasing their difficulties. But what was it happening in fact, children? What was happening in fact? The Lord's work is often underground. It's not what you can see with your physical eyes. The Lord was actually secretly working their deliverance in the very unfolding of these events. Right? He was in the process of hardening Pharaoh's heart to the end of actually bringing them out of, of Egypt. It's like in winter, right? We're, we're going now from winter into springtime. And if you didn't know better, which you obviously do, you look out in winter and it's like, what happened? Everything died, right? There's no leaves, there's no color, there's no blossoms and so on by and large, right? We, we look out and say, it appears as if it's dead. The ground's dead, the trees are dead, everything looks somewhat dead. And yet all winter long, of course, there's all sorts of things at work underground that you can't see with the roots gathering nutrients and extending themselves and so on and so forth. And you turn to spring and all of a sudden it explodes out of the earth and there's color and there's fragrance and all these things are brought to pass. And so it is with the Lord. The Lord is often working underground, as it were, beyond what the physical eyes uh, can see. And therefore... We're to be aware of that because when presented with circumstances, we're also presented with temptations to begin to question what God has promised us, what God's word has spoken to us. And so the Lord, at the beginning of verse 13, the Lord commands them, fear not, fear not, stand still. By command, it means that it's a duty, that it's an obligation, that it is, in other words, non-optional for God's people. You tend to think so often that fears aren't something you can control, right? You think they're things that happen to you, that you're swept up and carried away with this thing and that. Indeed, in our experience, that's the way it often plays out. But the Lord is saying we're not to entertain that. We're not to tolerate that. We're not to permit those sorts of things. He does more than that, as we'll see in just a moment. But he commands them 
to fear not. And this requires them and us to stand still. Fear not and stand still. Because what's happening is there's enormous amounts of turbulence. There's enormous amounts of turbulence without, outside of them, right? They're, they're seeing it. They can see the dust from the wheels of the chariots. They can see the arsenal, the men who are armed. You know, it would be like you looking out and, and, and seeing tanks covering the entire horizon with Apache helicopters hovering over them and land-to-air missiles, you know, filling the landscape and heavily armed men and so on and so forth, right? This is, this is what they're seeing. There's turbulence. But then there's the corresponding turbulence within them. They're sore afraid. They're terrified. And they're being swept up in that, right? They're being topsy-turvy, flipped upside down and spun in circles and, and so on and so forth. And this is so, so often what happens. This isn't unique to Israel. This is actually universally common among people. When our physical eyes see what they see, and when we respond to it in the way that Israel is responding, it results in being consumed by it. Right? It results in the mind racing a million miles an hour, butterflies in the stomach, our insides all tied into knots. And so the Lord comes and he says, stand still. Temptation here, of course, would be to scatter in panic, in hysteria. The Lord says, fear not, stand still. So thus far, the sight of the eyes. But then secondly, we have the sight of faith. The text goes on, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see. I said a moment ago, he commanded them to fear not. But he doesn't just do that. He comes along beside them, underneath them, if you will. And he actually quells their fears. He supplies what is necessary for them to not fear. He quells their fears by redirecting their gaze, the gaze of their soul, from the threats that are before them or behind them, to himself. Stand still and see the salvation of Jehovah. This is what he tells them. See the salvation of the Lord. Indeed, he not only tells them to see it, he not only redirects their gaze, so he tells them, fear not, but then he supplies help. He says, in order not to fear, look at me. But then he not only tells them, look at me, he comes behind that and says, look, I'll show you. I'll show you myself. Because he says, see the salvation of the Lord, which he, sh he will show, you, sh show to you today. The Lord himself is going to reveal it. He's going to enable you to see. He's going to enable you to, to gaze upon him. Well, of course, you can only see the Lord when you're standing still. But that does not come by osmosis, does it? The mere words, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, that doesn't all come by osmosis. It is a deliberate. It is a self-conscious. It is a volitional act to redirect 
our gaze and to transfer our confidence to the Lord himself. Right? To, to redirect our gaze and to see and to even affirm who he is. Someone can say, you know, look over there, see that. But you never turn your head. And they say, oh, you missed it. You didn't see it. The believer has to actually respond with faith to exercise faith. What does that look like? What does that mean for, for the believer? It means in, when our physical eyes are seeing overwhelming odds, seeing things that terrify us, that make our innards quake, that, that, that unsettle us, and so on and so forth, it means the believer stands still and directs their gaze to see the Lord himself and to say, nothing happens unless he wills it. Nothing happens unless he wills it. And he only wills what is good for his people. We have to look to him. We have to look at him and to see the one who unfolds all events and causes them all to unfold for the good of his people. To be able to affirm that it is impossible for him not to deliver. Think about that. It is impossible for him not to deliver in his way, in his time, granted, according to his inscrutable wisdom. But it's impossible for him not to deliver his word, fulfill it, to do what he's promised for all of his people, to uphold, sustain them, to see them through, to bring them out, and so on and so forth. Here, the eyes of the believer's soul are being fixed upon the Lord himself, standing still in order to see. The Lord says, watch me, I will show you. And he says, what you right now see with your physical eyes, you will no longer see. Watch and wait. Because that which you fear most, you will never see again. Momentarily, as it were. Now, this is true all the way across the board, but one thinks of our Lord. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry as the God-man. And he sang those words from the Psalms. You know, he will deliver my soul from hell, from Sheol. He will deliver my soul from hell. Here is the Lord himself taking the word that God has given him into his own mouth and heart and mind and soul. And he faces the garden with all of the overwhelming sights that the Lord discloses to him there, all of the quaking that takes place in there. You have the, the arrest and the trial and ultimately his condemnation and his crucifixion. And yet the Lord can see beyond all of this. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He was seeing in his humanity by faith through the word that God had given to him. He was seeing the joy that was set before him and he endured the cross and death gave way to greater glory. 
Death gave way to greater glory. His resurrection, ultimately his ascension, his glorification, his being seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and so on. So we see it with our Lord. We see it as well with his servants right through the whole Bible. But an example from the New Testament would be the Apostle Paul. And there in some of his last words, which I've commented on before, they, they continue to strike me. Here's Paul at the very end, right? He's, he's, a, he's the quintessential warrior. He's been through so many battles, so much suffering, so much affliction, so much that he's endured. He's at the very end. He's on the cusp. He's in the home stretch, the last leg of his race, when he's writing the last chapter of 2 Timothy, chapter 4. And you see the same there in, in verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Here he is at the end. He's still facing these sorts of, of odds. And yet he saw the Lord. And he saw that the Lord was with him. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And he saw the Lord deliver him. End of the verse, verse 17. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Right? This could be repeated, many fold. Undoubtedly, you have other examples that, that come to mind. But here we see the sight of faith, the sight of God himself, and the salvation of Jehovah. This is what's being set before our gaze. Now, you think, for example, first of all, of, of the unbeliever. You know, for some of you outside of the Lord Jesus Christ or unsure whether you're inside or outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you can see all that comes out of Egypt. You can see all that comes out of the city of destruction. You see your sin. You see your past. You see all of this disaster that's there. You see all of the ways in which you've been unresponsive to the word. You see degrees of callousness in your soul. You see the ways in which you've dishonored him, uh, the ways in which you have sinned against him. You see the sword of vengeance. You can see it, as it were, hanging over your head. You know, you can see the law of God. It's written in your laps, open in black and white, on the pages of your Bible. You know all of the declarations that it makes against you. The condemnation that comes in its wake, the violations of God's law. You see all these things, and you fear. And you fear that it is it's too late for you. It's too much for you. It's too far for you. There's nothing left for you. That you're hemmed in. You're in a tight place. And all that is left is spiritual annihilation. You see the impossibilities within your own soul to come to Christ on his terms as you want. But that's all you see is the impossibilities. You think of the believer. The believer's no different. The believer you know, faces various trials. They come in all shapes and sizes and different forms. And there appears on the horizon an affliction, a suffering, a loss, all sorts of pressure, difficulty, stress. And it's powerful and forceful and overwhelming and seems impenetrable and 
you can't navigate it, and you, you feel as if there's no way out of it. And the response is fear. Because all you see is the impossibilities. And the Lord comes in this text, and he says to Israel, as he says to us, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Faith sees what would otherwise remain unseen. The eye is taken from ourself, from our past, from our inside, from the circumstances that are immediately before us, from all of the overwhelming odds, and faith sees what would otherwise remain unseen, the Lord himself. And when he is factored in, it changes everything because faith sees who he is. Faith sees that he is faithful. He cannot, will not, has not broken his word, that he will never break his word, that he is faithful, that all of his promises are backed by himself, that he is merciful, that he is gracious, that he is tender, that he remembers the frailties that we face and so on. We see who he is, but we also see what he does. Faith sees what he, what he does that he is able to deliver, able to deliver the unbeliever from the wrath to come, able to deliver the believer from all of the overwhelming circumstances in which they find themselves, but also that he is willing. My question to some of you this evening is, is, is on that point, which I've struck in the past. Can you see him? Do you see that he is willing, that he is willing to save to the uttermost, that he is willing to cleanse and wash away all of the defilements of our sins, that he is willing to pardon all of the guilt and all of the violations of his law that rise up in all of their condemnation against us, that he is able and willing to deliver sinners like yourself, from all of our sins. Do you see him? Do you see that he, that he actually delights to do so? That not only is he able, and not only is he willing, you might think, in a perverted sense, reluctantly inclined. No, no. He delights to save sinners. He delights in it. The Lord rejoices over the salvation of sinners. Why? Because it brings so much glory to him. Because he gathers so much glory to himself that indeed we can say, in a sense, that there is more for him in the salvation of a sinner than there is for you as the sinner yourself. Because his glory is infinitely greater and of greater, infinitely greater value than the salvation of even your own soul. The Lord himself delights to save sinners, and he delights to deliver his people. He delights to say, I'm going to uphold and sustain you in the present circumstances. I'm going to see you through. I'm going to keep your head above the water. Or in the case of Israel, I'm going to cause you to pass through these waters on dry ground. 
I'm going to bring you out the other side. Or I'm going to take away uh, the, 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 the trial and circumstances, believer, altogether. And perhaps in ways that will astonish you. So that you think there is no human genius that is capable of finding a way out of these circumstances. And the Lord says, true. But you're not called to look to human geniuses. You're to look to the infinitely wise and all-powerful God. And he is able and delights to do so. Why? Because he gathers so much glory to himself through it. We think, in terms of the Lord's sustaining grace in the midst of trials, that beginning to end, it's all about us. And relief, pray God, relief from these trials. The Lord has more vested in this than you do. And he delights to gather glory to himself. And the mercies he bestows upon his people. So you have the eyes, you have the, the, the sight of the eyes. But then we have, secondly, the sight of faith. Thirdly, we have the sight of deliverance. Look back at the text. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again. No more forever. The sight of deliverance. The Egyptians you see with your eyes today. You will see with your eyes no more. The Lord says you're going to have a sight of deliverance, the removal of the thing that you fear most. The removal of it. What they saw with their eyes, they'll see with their eyes no more. We see by faith the Lord right here, right now. But all you'll see is the Lord when you're delivered. He'll be all that's left. The thing feared is gone. And so we begin to see him by faith now, and we're left to see him. It's interesting how this comes out in verse 31 at the end of the chapter. And Israel saw the, that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. They saw it. They saw the deliverance. They saw the great work that God had done and they believed Jehovah. Right, then you have their response, which is all of chapter 15, the, the famous song which was sung on the other side of the Red Sea. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and so on and so forth. They're brought to see the Lord, and they're left seeing him and savoring him. They're left praising him and adoring him. They're left believing him. Isn't that interesting? The exercise of faith in the face of the threat. The exercise of faith in the context of overwhelming odds and stress and so on actually leads to the increase of faith in deliverance. They're exercising, called to exercise faith. See me, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord delivers and their faith increases. 
That's the pattern that's given to us here. And really, it's even, there's a, there's a, there's a layer beyond that, really. Because you have, this, you have the sight of fears, right, with the eyes. We, we start there, the sight of what we fear, which we see with our, our physical eyes. And then we're led to the sight of God, which we see by faith with our soul. And so we're seeing now spiritually with our soul by faith. But in the end, it goes back to the eyes. The sight of deliverance is with their physical eyes. And that was curious to me to think about that, meditating upon this passage, until I thought, of course, of course this is the case. We begin seeing by faith in the end for the believer, in the end, which is to say in heaven, faith becomes sight. We behold with resurrected eyes the glory of the Lord and all that he reveals of, of himself. And so we have the sight of deliverance. Now remember the context here, it is night. So it's nighttime. In other words, it's dark and all that, you know, you think of the fears of what they've seen combined now with all of our human experience of being in the dark. You have verse 19 and, and following. And what happens? The angel of the Lord goes from before them, that is between them and the Red Sea, to behind them, which is to say between them and the Egyptians. And the pillar of cloud, which has been leading them, goes behind them and is now between them and the Egyptians. And that pillar of cloud on the Egyptian side leaves them engrossed in a shroud of darkness. So they're in inky black darkness, the Egyptians. But on the other side of that pillar of cloud, the Lord gives light. So they're in the dark, it's nighttime, and the Lord is causing light to shine upon them from his presence. He gave to them light, the passage says. And then in verse 21, a strong east wind, right? Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And so there they are. And there is a huge wind that is not only blowing across the sea, it would be blowing through their encampment as well. And so there's just massive winds that are like blowing through. Something's afoot here. The Lord is, is doing something, and indeed he is. The waters are divided, and as you well know, they cross over. They're crossing over at night, crossing over on dry ground at night. How do we know? Well, because the text says so. The Egyptians also cross over in the dark. And verse 27 says, When the morning appeared, then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. It was with the dawning of the day that those walls of water crashed in and completely destroyed the entire army of the greatest military force on planet Earth at the time. The passage says, not one escaped. Every last one of them perished. Every last one of them died. What's the response, of course? overwhelming relief. You know, you, you think when a person goes, 
is converted. The spirit is striving with him. They're brought under conviction of sin. They see that they're hell deserving. They see the law testifies against them. They see all of these things. They're brought through the ministry of the, the Holy Spirit, brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, brought into saving union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is an overwhelming sense of relief. Bunyan captures it. The, 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 the great weight rolls off of, of the back, right? This, this relief that is, that is given. There's joy. There's bliss. If the same thing is true with the Christian over and over. You're under overwhelming, terrifying stress that keeps you awake at night and all of the other things that are happening. And the Lord sees you through it or the Lord takes it away, delivers it. And there's this sense of relief and joy. And, and we're brought in both of those cases to say, what a God. What a God is like Jehovah. Who, who is like him? I will never, ever forget this. All my days, I'll never forget. How is it that I could have ever been unbelieving? Look what the Lord has done. But it did not stick. We're in chapter 14. Chapter 15, chapter 16, and chapter 17. Proof. That that feeling, that elation, that overwhelming sense of confidence and of joy and so on did not stick. As soon as Israel saw another threat, they could see it, but they did not see the Lord. Next threat they're presented with, they see it, but they don't see the Lord. And they, begin to and they begin to murmur, and they begin to fear again. And you get it in chapter 15 and verse 24. The people murmured, you know, what are we going to drink? And then what does the Lord do? He calls them to see himself, verses 26 and 27. And then you go to chapter 16. And then they, they come to sin, and they murmur for want of bread. And you read that in verses 2 and 3. What does the Lord do? In verse 4, he calls them to see himself. And then you turn to chapter 17 and verse 2. Right, they're murmuring about the water at uh, Rephidim. And what does the Lord do? In verse 5, he calls them to see himself. You have this recurring theme. Over and over, it's in essence, the Lord's saying again and again, stand still and see. Fear not. Stand still and see. The salvation of the Lord, the provision of the Lord, the deliverance of the Lord. We, we, I've done it. I'm sure you've done it. You know, we read these passages, we hear these passages, and we criticize Israel. Inconceivable. They've just seen one of the most historic miracles in all of the Old Testament. The greatest military power on earth, buried in the sea. They crossed over on dry land with walls of water on either side, miraculously, men, women, children, grandmas, and everybody else with all of their stuff. And they're no sooner on the other side and a short space from there. They bump into a circumstance where we got no water. We're dead. What are we doing? We should have died in Egypt. You know, this is crazy. You brought us out in the wilderness in order, to, in order to kill us, to scatter our bones here, and so on and so forth. And we think, this is absolutely insane. How could they say that? How could they think that? Given what they've seen, be very careful. 
be very, very, very careful at this point. They are us. We are them. And there's no denying it. If you're a believer, the Lord saved your soul. You were on your way to hell, and the Lord has placed you on your way to heaven. What could be greater than that? What miracle in your life is greater than that? And if it's not enough, if you're a believer, then you have gone uh, if even a short time in your pilgrimage, and you've faced these, you've bumped up against the dead ends with no escape hatch, and you've faced overwhelming odds, and you've felt all the butterflies in your stomach, and you've been stressed out about it, and so on, and you've seen the Lord sustain you, see you through, deliver you. You've seen it, and you've said to yourself, I can't believe this, overwhelming. It's just the Lord, what a God he is. How could I have ever doubted him? You know, look what he's done for me, and so on and so forth, and all the elation of those feelings of relief, and so on and so forth. And you yourself come to the very next trial. Not the little ones, the big ones. Whether you say it or not, you think to yourself, it's different this time. And it is different this time, because it's always different every time. You say, it's different this time. There's no way through this time. I don't see it. I don't know what's going to happen. And all you'll do is see with your eyes. And you'll glue your eyes on the things that are utterly impassable and overwhelming. And you think to yourself, how is this going to happen? We are like them. We're not better than them. The Lord delivers you again. And for some of us who have walked with the Lord a long time, as I've said before, you have Ebenezer's in the rearview mirror as far as you can see. You have so many Ebenezer's that have been raised. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Utterly inexcusable. And yet this is where we find ourselves. The fact is that we need the fresh exercise of faith. Over and over and over and over. It is the call repeatedly to fear not, to stand still, and to see the salvation of the Lord. The fresh exercise of faith. Why? Because we are called to living by faith. We're to be living by faith, as we've heard in Hebrews. This is what we're called to. Unbelief is so, so evil. It's so evil. You think, oh yeah, it is terrible, man. You like feel horrible and you have all these stresses and circumstances and, you know, years shaved off your life. No, that's not what I mean. Unbelief is terribly horrible, reprehensible because of the dishonor is brought to God. The dishonor of our unbelief to the Lord himself to question him, to second-guess his word, turn our face from his promises. When we hang everything by faith in confidence upon him, having seen him by faith, we hang everything in confidence upon him. It magnifies his glory. It absolutely magnifies his glory. When we are putting all of our confidence in extraordinarily difficult circumstances on him only. 
all the glory that's being brought to his name through those things. Here was Israel. They're on the cusp of deliverance. They didn't know what was going to happen. They had no idea. We read it and reread it and hear it umpteen times over, over years and over our lifespan. They're on the cusp of a deliverance. And they didn't see it because they didn't see him. They didn't see Jehovah. They didn't see the Lord. But my friends, they could have seen it. They could have seen it before they experienced it. If they had the sight of faith. I'm not saying, you know, they may not have seen how he was going to deliver them. The particular mechanism that he was going to use. But that he would do it. The Lord has promised he's going to deliver us. The Lord has led us to this very place. Faith would enable them to see we will be delivered from these circumstances. They could have seen it before they experienced it. Faith makes that visible to us. It makes it visible to us so that we're led to trust him. Well, in conclusion, yeah, I have a parallel in, in Psalm 46. You know it well. God is our refuge and our strength and straits of present aid. It's helpful because, you know, in straits, in a tight squeeze, in a very tight spot, in straits. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our God. He's our present aid in those tight places. Later on in the psalm, it says, a very present help in trouble. And the whole psalm opens, right, with we sing it, we've got it memorized, some of us, and, and we know it backward and forward, and yet we never let it sink in on us. How cataclysmic the language is, right? The, the mountains are being thrown into the sea. Mountains are shaking. The whole earth is shaking. I mean, this is, you know, if you tried to picture everything described in, in, in Psalm 46, you would begin to quake. And yet that's the very description he's giving us when he says, God is our refuge and strength. God is the one who comes and right early helps his people. He's the one who's in the midst of his people. He's the one who's surrounding his people. That's what the Lord's giving us here. He's saying, yes, there's the, there's the sight of, eye, of, of your eyes, sure enough. Thank God we have that. But we're called to walk by faith, not by sight. We need the sight of faith. We need the sight of him. And with it comes the sight of deliverance. Because he is Jehovah, the God of salvation. He is the one who will show his salvation to his people. He will show to you says to Israel today, the salvation of the Lord. Well, may the Lord bring these home, these truths home to our own bosoms. Let's stand for prayer. Oh, Lord, our God in heaven, how often we find ourselves saying we know not what to do but our eyes are upon thee. O oh Lord, grant that it would be so. Enable us to lift up the eyes of our souls and to behold our God.
to see the greatness, the limitlessness of thy faithfulness. And that thou art the God who changes not. And all that thou hast been for thy people in days past, and all that thou hast been for thy people in our own lives, thou wilt continue to be. Give to us, O Lord, that we would learn to walk by faith. And O Lord, we pray that, that we would know help from heaven in these things. Pity us, O Lord, remember us in all of our frailties, our quakings and tremors and our tenderness. Give us, O Lord, to see the salvation of the Lord, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.